You're listening to the Allyship Podcast with Leila Rao, co-founder of Lean and Agile. We're having candid conversations about why and how men can become better allies to women. Every woman should feel seen, heard, and valued, now more than ever. So let's make it happen. In this episode, Layla's guest is Sanjeev Augustine. Sanjeev is founder and CEO of Lightspeed and applies his experience to make the case for why DEI is an effective business strategy, as well as a human value proposition. Let's listen in. Sanjeev, thank you for making the time to be here for this Allyship podcast. Leila, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be on the show with you. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. So let's dive in. You and I got back a few years, so I know that you have been an ally for a lot of women. Can you talk about how you got started in your role with Lightspeed and why you are an ally? So I'll address the Lightspeed uh, part of the question a little later, but it's it's always good to introspect on why we behave the way we do. And I think all of us are a sum total of our uh, experiences, right? And our experiences are not just our work experiences, but also our personal experiences. So I come from a family where we have very highly educated uh, professional women in my family. So for example, my mom has a master's in journalism. I have uh, grandmothers who are medical doctors and I have great man- grandmothers who were PhDs uh, in the early 1900s. So if one grows up with a privileged background like that and you see role models like that in your family, you don't expect anything else, right? Uh, so the whole, to me, it's a little, it was a little bit of a surprise when you realize that there are people who don't necessarily see women in positions of executive authority or even in, uh, even in positions of equal collaboration. And uh, for me, it was, I grew up, you know, going on equal opportunity marches with my mom, who was a who was a social activist. Uh, I grew up hearing uh, s- stories of of my grandmother who ran a hospital in uh, in in India that was helping under underprivileged people. She was one of her first graduating classes as a, of, of a medical doctor back at a, a place called Christian Medical College in Bellow back in in those days. You know, so. When you grow up with a with a, a, a legacy like that, and I must admit that it's a very privileged legacy, and I'm humbled to have had that. But if I think about how I show up today, it's it's a product of that background and that behavior that you see that you don't expect anything else uh, or different from women as you do from men. Okay, I did not know most of that. Thank you for sharing. Wow. So you said, you know, you don't expect that, right? So what was your experience like when you started working, let's just say within consulting companies or as a consultant, what did you see? Uh, I'll, I'll pick one example, right? So this is not at light speed, but in a, uh, I want to say like about 20 years or so ago, um, we were working with a, with a client who was not based in one of the major metro area, the office was at least, or was not uh, at least. and. Um, even though it was 20 years ago, the, it was more of a sort of madman type scenario where m- women managers were expected to bring coffee and or things like that. And it was just shocking to me. And we ended up not working with that client because we, we just couldn't put up with a, a culture like that. 
Um, so there's gender inequality, just like there's inequality everywhere else. And it's there for anybody who's who can open their eyes and see it and, um, and acknowledge it. So our job as proponents of equality across the board, whether it's gender equality or anything, um, is to open our eyes and see it around us and recognize it and admit it and do our best to show up in the world with a different point of view. So I'm not going to waste energy in terms of saying, hey, that's something that needs to be correct, corrected. I'm going to say, well, how are we going to show up in the world? How are we going to project our own model, which is a counter to that model? And it's a very positive, very different model and one that many people share. So I'm gratified to see that in 2022, that hopefully, at least in the major metro areas and hopefully within our agile communities and maybe the IT community at large, that it is not, it, the prevalent view is one of equality, not one of inequality. I think the intent is certainly there, but the execution is not quite there. So what can we as a community, agile, IT, however we define ourselves, what can we do so that the best idea is at the table so that everybody feels welcome? That's a great question. It's also a, a difficult question to answer because we live in such a polarized society right now that any answer I give can will be sort of sliced and diced and uh, analyzed from one perspective or the other. So I'm actually going to take it out of the realm of politics or gender politics or anything like that and look at it from a business perspective. Because if we say agile methods are a mean to, means towards business agility, if we say IT is there to support business, well, that's, let's, let's uh, look at this from a business perspective, right? And within our businesses, if you look at our organizations, there is, um, you know, we can apply principles of organizational design. So there is a uh, somewhat arcane principle from, um, from organizational design and that's called the law of requisite diversity right and the law of requisite diversity basically says that if we don't have within our organization the same kind of um, uh, diversity that is outside in our environment that causes organizational stasis and death and it's from uh, um, ashby's law by the way is the name of the person ashby right so ashby's law of requisite diversity that says if we want our businesses to succeed, if we want our businesses to be entrepreneur, entrepreneurial and driving innovation, we need to have a diverse set of skills. And it doesn't have to be genders. It if you approach it from that perspective, it says we need diverse scale, skills and we need a similar or a greater level of diversity within the organization than without or outside. And if you don't, if your environment, think of this as our customers, our the people in our ecosystem, if our customers have a more diverse environment than we have, or our ecosystem has a more diverse environment than we are, then we are we are sort of setting ourselves up for failure, organizational stasis, and eventual organizational death. So it sounds like paraphrasing Ashby, we all recognize that we're in a VUCA environment and our customers are diverse. So we can stack the odds of better meeting our customer needs if we also have the requisite diversity within ourselves and not just meeting our customer uh, needs, but also our, our own organizational and entrepreneurial success. So we want to serve our customers, but we want to be successful as well. So there is, if you will, a, a clear uh, motive, clear and present motive over there for ourselves, right? So what's in it for me or what's in it for us? Yeah, there it is. 
Love it. So DEI is both a value proposition and good business strategy. That's the way I would like to approach it. I love it because, you know, all the data shows that the more diverse teams, more diverse organizations will perform financially in terms of innovation, everything else that matters to most organizations today. So going back a little bit, you mentioned your family legacy and why it matters more to you. How has it been showing up for you as an ally in the workplace as a leader of a company? So let's bring it to the Agile movement, right? So within the Agile movement, I got involved. I had the uh, extreme good fortune to be in the right place at the right time. And I was introduced to many of the original signers of the uh, Agile Manifesto. So folks like Jim Highsmith was my role model, my own mentor, and then Alistair Coburn, Bob, Mar Bob Martin. And they all accepted me without looking at who I was in terms of my, my physical appearance being somewhat different from theirs. And so uh, I just took that forward, right? So I took the welcome that I received from many of the founders of the Agile movement, the signers of the Agile Manifesto, and we took that forward. And we took it forward within the Agile community and we took it forward in the organization within, the, within my company. Let's look for the best people. Let's look at for the, the the people who have the, have the best agile skills. Let's since we're a consulting and a training business, let's look for the uh, people who have the best consulting and training and operational skills. And that's that's the way we look at it. And then the diverse workforce or the diverse um, uh, nature of our business, business, if you will, or our team, ends up becoming as a sort of byproduct of that that goal. Right. It's not that we look, go out and say we need a diverse workforce. We say we need diversity of skills. And that brings us you know, by as a, as a consequence or as, as an outcome or a result toward, towards a diverse workforce. So focus on the business need outcome and good diversity is a happy byproduct. Yes, there you go. Sounds awesome. But I will say it can't always have been that easy because finding good people is definitely not easy. So how have you applied looking for the most diverse capabilities in the marketplace today. Yeah, and this this has been a, uh, definitely more true in the last couple of years with the pandemic and also with the, with the whole great, great resignation and all that. Um, it's extremely difficult. And one of the things, uh, there's, a, there's a shocking statistic, and I think it applies to women in the workforce. I think many women have dropped out of the workforce and there's a huge potential loss to our businesses, our, uh, our own, um, in fact, our whole economy, the U.S. economy. And I think I forget the number. It's about nine million or so or so. I don't want to misquote it, but it's in the millions of uh, people, women who are, who have been forced to drop out of the workforce and um, because of the multiple responsibilities that they've had to carry in the pandemic. So it's been very difficult. And again, we driven by this need to find the best uh, best person we are you know still sort of find ourselves um <clears throat> you know drawn towards the best people and many of them happen to be uh you know the, uh, many of them continue to be women so just to have a quick data note yes globally about five percent of women have left the workplace because of the competing demands this kind of reverses about 20 years of actively bringing women into the workplace yeah. And it is very concerning, right? It should be concerning to all of us 
uh, and especially concerning to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs myself, like myself, or you know, running uh, uh, businesses, we've got it has reversed many gains that we made in the past. Okay, I'm the leader and someone who coaches leaders. What can we do to undo some of the damage that has been done? Um, I think we continue to treat people uh, as people and uh, and start uh, with their needs. If you if, as members. Uh, uh, as leaders, right, and not even just as mem members of the workforce, but as leaders, we have to. Earn, if we if we start to look at ways of working, so you take remote working. Uh, I've been uh, interested and concerned, and at some time and at some uh, occasions, even appalled to see that uh, leaders, executives, are are forcing their members to return to offices and mosques, right. I'm not saying that in, at some future date we may not all re return to a pre-pandemic, you know, in-person uh, presence at the office. But look at the benefits of remote working. I myself benefit from the from working remotely. I've been I myself benefit from not having to commute in the Washington D.C. area for 45 minutes to an hour each way. And these are gains that we have made in the pandemic that we should not throw out of the window, right? And so. Uh, one of the things we can do is to say, well, remote working really benefits all of us, women included. So let's continue to look at this and look. let's continue to redesign the way we do business as we move forward out of the pandemic and as the pandemic becomes an endemic, it's still there, but we have to figure out what makes sense. Is it one day a week? Is it two days a week or something like that? Let's design it around the people that we have and their ways of working. And if some of them happen to be men, that's great. If some of them happen to be women, that's great. But ultimately, if you lead with that people first uh, ethos, we'll end up in the right place. Okay, so people first. Every leader, every organization says they value people. I don't always see it put into practice. So are there some reasons why we have this gap between what leaders say and their impact? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is many of our organizations are wired to be older legacy project based organizations, if you will, or command and control based uh, organizations. And we don't necessarily yet have a, a cadre of leaders who completely understand what it means to be truly agile, right? Can we change on a dime for a dime? What it means to be looking out for this VUCA environment and then what, what it means to be engaged with our team members and moving things forward. So I don't know how you remedy that if somebody has spent 20, 30 years um, with the particular mindset and with successes with a particular approach. I don't know that we can. We have to kind of wait for that for that group of uh, that uh, that uh, strata of leaders to sort of move out of the workforce and focus on the people who are coming in or who are already there, who who already have this mindset of, I'm a people-focused leader. I can figure out how to base my organization around the people in my organization, base it around my customer needs and my employee needs. So I think that's what we need to do is to continue to lead with empathy, both empathy for our people and empathy for our customers. Love it. Okay, so focus on those who already are there, who are working towards getting there and don't give air time to the rest. Well, I don't know that it's a, it's our prerogative or not to give air time, but I'm just saying within my own limited sphere of influence with what I can do, I'm going to focus on the people and, uh, and the customers that I can make a difference with. 
I mean, do what we can where we can sounds like a pretty good philosophy for both business and empowerment. Yeah. And then if you believe in things like the butterfly effect and such, right? Even though we, uh, you know, even though we may think our sphere of influence is, is kind of narrow, every impact that we take, every action that we take has impacts not only today, but in the future and not only locally, but globally. That sounds like a pretty good definition of allyship to me. <laughs> you do what you can where you can and believe in butterfly effect. Can you talk a little bit about some of the examples of what allyship could look like and specifically in terms of empowering women in the workplace, either ones that you've experienced, you've seen, or you've done yourself? Um, so uh, if you are a leader with executive authority, one of the things that you can do is to work with your HR partners to redesign your compensation packages, to redesign your benefits packages, um, we at Lightspeed have uh, a, what we believe is a very generous uh, uh, leave policy and we go way above, above the U.S. Family and, Medi and Medical Leave Act and all that. And so whether it's uh, uh, paternity leave or maternity leave, be generous in those things. Look at compensation, make sure that you're not part of the statistic that's, that underpays women, right? So what is it, uh, Leela, you probably have these numbers, uh, uh, I think even today in 2022, um, women are getting what 70 cents to the dollar or something like that um, you gotta watch out for that and if it, if any of that uh, is your responsibility 77 cents there you go so uh, it's moved up which is great but what's stopping us from paying women uh, equally or more uh, for the work if they're the better at the job that than than anybody else then we should pay the person based on the work they do not on their gender yeah, so the, the gender gap in salary really depends on intersectionality. It's women and race, and Black women make still have the biggest gap differential, but yet there is still a very big salary differential. Okay. The other ways to look and see, and this is something uh, tactically that we can see in, in our own uh, community, in the actual community, there are, there are uh, people, men or women of every race that need a leg up. So if we can help somebody who's interested and is working, wants uh, an access to a conference or wants to be able to come and uh, wants to be able to train or wants to be able to have some mentorship, uh, let's provide it. So I can watch for that because one of the first conferences I spoke at was Lean Agile DC. Yeah. And at that point, like, you know, I didn't have established track record, but you guys invited me to speak and that certainly gave me the opportunity to go forward. So thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you for remembering some, sometimes people, it all gets sort of washed under the bridge, but really appreciate you saying it. Yes. So we actively look for um, bright people. And I, like I said, we approach it from that perspective and we don't then look at it from the lens of any gender or any, any race, uh, racial kind of background at all. So another way in which I directly benefited from your butterfly effect is Roland. So can we talk a little bit about Roland and how you know him? Yes, so Roland Coyar, uh, who passed away tragically last April uh, of um, uh, part of the COVID pandemic, when people say there's no COVID pandemic, don't believe them. Uh, I had a personal record, it's pretty traumatic for everyone on our team, including myself. So I've known Roland for over 20 years. Roland and myself worked together to uh, generate a body of knowledge that I think is pretty unique in, in terms of strategic agility. This whole concept of an, what originally we called an agile PMO, eventually we 
uh, evolved into an agile value management office, so Agile VMO, and published a book. Uh, unfortunately, the book got published right after his death, but he, we had finished the book and it had gone over to the publishers. And so Audrey Shiri um, and Roland Coyard and myself wrote the book during the pandemic and got it out. So I knew Roland is a, at the personal level and the professional level. He was the closest of friends and collaborators and head of our uh, consulting practice as well. And so it was a terrible and a tragic loss when he passed away. So just to add, um, I met Roland several years ago. He was pretty much my direct manager on Agile Coaching Contract. And it was one of my first kind of real Agile Coaching Contracts. And Roland was the first person to really say, oh wait, you have something unique here, go with it. And he trusted my instincts, even when it wasn't something that was established knowledge. And he was like, nope, go, you trust your instinct, keep going. And when I left that job, I had my first freelance role come up and I had no idea what to charge, how to do this. And I called him in a complete panic. He not only answered my call, he said, okay, here are the rates right now. Here's what you can charge, here's what to aim for. Just by answering that call, he probably saved me a decade of salary negotiation and prices. So to me, that's he is one of the best allies I've ever had. So thanks to your friendships, I benefited from yours and Roland's allyship. Yeah. And I would say uh, there's one thing to note as well, and that is for you, uh, who the person receiving the, the the advice, is to be open to him, right? And so Roland was part of our group, and he's one of the people I trusted to be my mentor. So I have Bob Payne, who's been a long-term friend, uh, Audrey Sheary, and now Rebecca Jones and Megan Battle. These are all members of the our team on whom I rely for advice. And of course, I relied on Roland for advice when he was around. And um, part of being part of a circle like that and having such extraordinarily smart and caring people, if somebody cares enough to tell you categorically, this is what you should be doing, it's, a, it's incumbent on each one of us to listen, right? And so that's the it, part of allyship. It's a two-way street. It's not just somebody providing the allyship, uh, you know, the advice and mentorship, but also being able to listen to that. And sometimes it's constructive, right? It's not, in, I don't know how you felt and, uh, about, uh, about moving in the direction that Roland gave, uh, gave you, but sometimes it's constructive and it's not easy. I know as you know, when you first start out and you're making your way up and as a, my own career that's going to span over 30 years, I've received some pretty constructive uh, um, criticism and feedback and advice. Uh, and um, it just makes a difference and you have to be open and, and approach that with a beginner's mind and understand that whoever's providing you that advice is giving it in the spirit of improvement for you. And if you don't listen to it, then it's, it's to your own detriment. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Roland and you and others who I've been privileged enough to benefit from, you know, you understand they're coming from a good part and you take it seriously because good advice is priceless and you surround yourself with good people and you don't always put it into place immediately, but man, trust the people who are willing to help you. I mean, Roland didn't have to, you know, good allies our allies, not because they have to, but it's their value system. Mm -hmm. So taking it in that spirit and learning from it and passing it forward, you know, there's not every couple of months, I still share examples of how Roland mentored me to the people I'm mentoring. So I'm so glad we're able to have that conversation. And I love the second part of what you're saying is because I think that's true for a lot of people who are not quite sure where to go. 
being able to take advice in the spirits intended and applying it, that's not always easy for everybody. What are some of the things that we can all do to keep, to get better at taking advice and learning from others? Um, practice mindfulness and understand that your ego can be your biggest asset and your, your biggest enemy. So I'll give you a personal example. I'm a fairly good presenter of having learned over the years and taken a lot of feedback. And the two two instances that, that stand out, um, there was a particular class that I presented with and there was another uh, trainer that I worked with and the two of us presented. And we got feedback from, uh, from the trainees. And um, they had rated on a scale of five, they had rated the other person that was presenting with fours and fives. And I got twos and threes. And in terms of presentation skills or, or effectiveness for in this particular class. And there's two ways you can react to that, right? You can say, well, it may be because of my uh, my background or maybe the other person is not from a, the same race or, or there's a natural defensive nature. Or you can say, well, there's actually nuggets of gold and gems of improvement over here that I can pull out. Right? And so I looked at it and said, I need to raise my game. And this is a, there is a, this, this clear criticism that was provided. And we're just taking those and working on the elements has, has made me a better presenter, a better trainer, and a better speaker over the years. Right? And um, that's something that comes to you that people offer you and it's, it's there. And if you, again, if you listen to it and you take the criticism and keep your own ego in check, then you can move forward and, and you can improve it. So I think, that's uh, that's something that's really important is that we listen to things and we improve and take uh, take constructive criticism in the in the spirit it was given so, thank you sanjeev you mentioned your career been around for a while have you seen are things getting better like are we getting better as a society as organizations about putting people first <laughs> That's a hard question to ask in 2022. So I'm an eternal optimist, right? So if we look at the world today, whether it's the macro situation, the geopolitical situation, or even the micro uh, situation within the United States or within our own areas, you, we can see things that have categorically gotten worse. Right? You know, whether it's the price of gas and inflation or, you know, just being uh, the job, the, the stock market or any one of these things. And yet, uh, I, or the environment, right? The uh, global warming and all these things. So there's, the answer is not one or the other. Things are getting worse as, even as they're getting better. So what's getting better? What's getting better is that we can have these conversations. And what's getting better is that there are more and more people open to having these conversations or aware. The other thing that's getting better is the rising tide of the younger generation. Many of the things that we were, were facing today uh, are really, in, to a certain extent, uh, I won't call them dying gas because they're still going to be around for a long time. But these are, you know, this is what we're facing today is a larger geopolitical reality that has been imposed on us. When I say imposed on us, I'm talking about the majority of by a smaller minority of people. And those minority of people tend to be older, they tend to have a different worldview. And the reason they've been able to do that is because we are not paying attention and we're not taking responsibility for our own futures. So I'm hopeful that our younger generation 
is more uh, aware, we have to start with awareness, is more uh, that awareness leads to engagement and that engagement um, leads to accountability. So I think if things are getting worse, at least some of that is on our, on us, right? We have not been engaged with our larger societies. We're not looking out for people to raise up uh, both, um, uh, you know, within our local uh, local um, spheres, in, spheres of influence or, or larger um, or, or globally. And all of that has a consequence, right? Inequality has a consequence that eventually inequality drives, drives social unrest and disturbance and economic unrest and disturbance. That kind of goes back to, so investing in ourselves and making a better future for each other is simply good business sense. <laughs> yeah, whether you look at it from, you know, there are different movements out there, conscious capitalism or there, you know, it's, it's ultimately as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, you can look at it and say, yes, this is all about good business. This is treating people and it's about good humanity. It's about treating people well. And you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, and I, I've made a difference in the world and it's being able to do that without uh, breaking, you know, uh, or doing it in a positive way and with the right value system, if you will. And I would not, I'd be missing it if I didn't point out several examples of allyship from Lightspeed and you in particular. So I mentioned the first conference. I also remember when Bob King came to me and said, hey, I have this job I'm looking for, are you available? I said, no, that's not a job I'm interested in, but I really want to do business agility. Would you guys be interested? And Bob said, sure, let me put you in touch with Arlen. And I've never met him before, but we created one of the first business agility courses together. Yeah. And, you know, Arlen took a complete chance on me and was like, what do you have in mind? And we yeah. did that. Right. And I'm also remembering when Padmini, my Leo co-founder, called you guys and said, can we do a talk at this? You instantly said yes. So we've tried over the last 15 years, all of those things that we uh, you mentioned are instances that uh, we've tried and uh, hopefully succeeded by giving opportunities and help and assistance to any, uh, anybody who's asked for it. Deserving, I should say. <laughs> there are times we had to turn people down when we didn't think it was uh, being deserved that much. So. But you know, at least speaking for myself, you know, I've been able to ask and you've said yes. And I think it's been certainly very good for me and my career. So hopefully good for you guys as well. Thank you very much. Definitely. It's always reciprocal, right? All right. I think this has been an awesome conversation, Sanjeev. Is there anything else that you want to add around this topic of allies or allyships or how do we make it better? Um, I don't know that it's adding so much as reinforcing what I said at the beginning. I think if you all look at it from, from the perspective of a personal ethos, we all want a better world. We all want to uh, to do good, we all want a better world for ourselves and for our children and for our children's children, and this is the way to do it. Right. So, from a per personal perspective, um, if we can, to use the Martin Luther King quote, if we can look at people and judge them by the content of their character, not by the color of the skin or gender or what have you, to paraphrase uh, Dr. King, then that's the way to move forward. Right. At a personal level, and from a business perspective, it's just good business. It's, it, and that's proven, there's, there's statistics, there's studies, there's conferences. So there's no better way. This is a win-win-win situation all around. There's no better way to do this either personally or organizationally. Love it and couldn't agree more. Um, I've often said DEI done well is the 10X strategy for innovation and growth and everything else that people claim to want. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today at Trip Down Memory Lane. Thank you, Leila. Thanks for having me here. This has been an allyship conversation from Leila Rao, co-founder of Lean in Agile. If you enjoyed the episode, help others find us by rating and reviewing. Visit allyshipwell.com to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content. Thank you for listening.